Hey everyone, it's Bryn. Steven and I recorded this before the news of Eddie Van Halen's passing, and I'd just like to add our voices to everyone paying tribute to this incredible artist and guitar innovator. I'd like to send our condolences and well wishes to his friends, family, and bandmates. And in the spirit of our podcast, I'd like to encourage everyone listening to go and listen to a Van Halen album you've never heard before and celebrate the gift he gave us all, his music. Stand by, the episode's coming up. From the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Welcome to the podcast, Life to Labyrinth podcast. My name's Bryn. My name's Steven. Welcome to another episode. And if you're joining us for the first time, just to touch base on what we do, we go through albums that we've either heard before or hearing for the first time, kind of we each go back and forth, we pick one, and then we listen to it for a week, kind of on a loop in different ways and see if we can kind of find a connection with it. And uh, if we can, great, we chat about it. And if we can't, we chat about it. And at the end of an hour and a half, something like that, usually longer than the album itself, we come to a conclusion about whether or not we like it. Yeah, so it's a pretty fair summary of it i mean we haven't really hit any albums we haven't connected with yet but i feel like they're brewing <laughs> or this yeah. may be the one the podcast is still young <laughs> <laughs> for this episode for our first real episode in october we are going back and in the spirit of spooktober we're going through the scary music that started our musical journeys and this week we're starting with steven Stephen, how did your musical journey start? What's the album we're listening to? All right. So, I mean, I like, I was fortunate enough. Both my parents were pretty big into music. Um, wide, wide variety too. So my dad listened to, you know, metal, <laughs> punk, alt rock, all that. I'm a rebellious teenager. Crap that was so popular. Uh, whereas my mom was very top 40s and like top, say top 40 country and top 40 pop. Um, so I listened to kind of the whole gamut growing up. Um, and for this episode, we decided we're going to take a journey into the first album we ever bought. So for me, that was the self-titled Gorillaz album that came out in March of 2000. Or yeah, March 26, 2001 is when it released. So I would have been about eight when this album came out. <laughs> and it was actually like Clint Eastwood only dropped the song everybody knows from this album. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood only dropped on March 4th. Um, but it exploded. And I mean, I know it was a big deal kind of worldwide. Um, they went platinum or gold in pretty much every country, but in the UK for whatever reason, and I'm sure we could deep dive that at some point in the UK, they were just this huge standout success. Um, and Clint Eastwood was a really big part of that. It was, I must've heard that song every, every day on the radio. My dad's birthday and mine are actually eight days apart. Cosmic coincidence. So a lot of times when my dad had time, we would go out and we would just go to music shops and like record shops, CD shops, and we would just go through music together. And then we would pick like an album for each other, essentially as like a small birthday gift. And this one, that's we had gone so that we could go through albums. I was going to pick one out for my dad. And I'd actually, I'd come across the Gorillaz CD. And so it's so late, but what really caught me about the Gorillaz when I first bought that album was the the little animated figures um on the cover so the cover is just them in a camo jeep and it's it's one fun thing about the gorillas that i still really love to this day is that they are a truly 
animated and manufactured band. There's only one permanent member. But they're little like character doodles essentially on the front of the album or what I remember catching my eye. So yeah, it's supposed like, to be like a true artistic experience, isn't it? It's like audio and visual and to the point where they have a cartoon now, don't they? Isn't there a TV show, Gorillaz? I know they do like a web series on YouTube, I think. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, where they actually, they just released a new album based on that. And yeah, so I remember Clint Eastwood, like going through the song list, Clint Eastwood immediately, I was like, oh, pff, I know that song. It's pretty good. So being eight and it being... <laughs> brand new album i was like oh let's get it i'm sure i'll love everything and thankfully i did to this day gorillas is still honestly it's one of my favorite bands i think they're creatively and artistically just so incredibly unique and divergent from music industry and yeah that was their big selling point is that damon the i guess you call him the lead singer but he's essentially the one man blur right yeah from blur um damon albarn albarn I always pronounce that name wrong. Damon Albarn. So yeah, they were in Blur. And Blur did pretty well, um, for sure. Never really a band I listened to. Well, it wasn't a big deal here. If you were still in the UK at the time, um, yeah, I was so... living in Canada. And touch base on your experience knowing this album. Like I was 17 when this album came out. And I was in high school. Clint Eastwood was all over the radio here, too. It was enormous. And I know Blur was a big deal in the UK with the Britpop scene because they had that whole like rivalry with Oasis going on. But in terms of here... We only like I only ever heard song two. Like yeah. that's pretty much a one hit wonder here. Yeah, and honestly, song two is really what they're known for. They had a couple more tracks that were a bit well more well recepted in UK. And like you said, a big part of that was Oasis. Oasis was huge. So that little like manufactured rivalry they had going on. Yeah. And it's Blur is is kind of a funny starting point for Damon going into the Gorillas because Damon conceptualize the gorillas as a response to the overly manufactured like boy band scene that was starting to blow up in the 90s of which both oasis and blur were kind of part of right that like brit pop explosion really birthed the whole kind of genre bending that the gorillas became so i picked the album up and part of it i'm sure was because oh my dad listens to all rock stuff like i'm gonna listen to all rock stuff and it just even now, I have a notoriously, notoriously shitty memory. Even now, I do kind of remember bits and pieces of that first listen through because it was truly at the time such a unique album start to finish. And where you said like Clint Eastwood was huge even in the US, like Gorillaz, the album was crazy successful. So like they went triple platinum in the UK, uh, double platinum in the European charts back when those were separate. And I suppose they're going to become separate again. I believe they were single platinum in US and then everywhere else in the world, they were either gold or platinum. Hmm. So this album sold 7 million worldwide. It was like two, 1.9 million in the US, which I'm pretty sure is only a hundred thousand off of being double platinum. And then just shy of a million in the UK. And Clint Eastwood was a huge, huge part of that. Like for whatever it was about Clint Eastwood really, really clicked for the world at the time. And I think Honestly, I personally think it's a bit of a shame that Clint Eastwood is the one song off this album that anybody could name at any time who's definitely heard it. And it's it's a good song, absolutely. But I don't think it's like the cornerstone of this album. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was the first CD I ever bought back on that old Sony disc rim we were talking about. Nice. Um, and it just, it stood out to me. And then the more I learned about them, the fact that like when they went on tour, the artists would perform in silhouettes so that you could watch the 
music video essentially playing behind them. And they built this whole world and all this lore that the Gorillaz band belongs to. And they're continuing that to this day. So the big thing with Gorillaz, and I actually, I didn't realize it was so inconsistent, but yeah, um, Damon Albarn's the only permanent member. Every single album and every single track, essentially, he's, he combs through to think of contacts and friends and other people in the industry that he either knows of or could get a hold of that he thinks would be a good fit for that specific track. And Gorillaz, the album, was actually almost entirely Damon's like brainchild. So there's a couple like in Clint Eastwood, right? Being one of the biggest yep. examples. Del the, what does he call it? Del the funky homo, homo sapien is the, um, the rapper who busts in. So in the music video, he's the ghost that comes out of Russell. And as an example of this lore, they built the whole idea behind this is that Del the funky ghost is what his gorilla's name is, mm-hmm. was a friend of Russell, the drummer, who got killed in a shootout and designed and possessed Russell so that he wouldn't have to move on to the afterlife. So Dell shows up both on Clint Eastwood and rock the house in, on this album. And he's come back for a couple little like cameos throughout the years, but like each character essentially has their own voice actor, has their own personality. Damon plays the, like the band lead 2d His name. I'm pretty sure is Stuart pot. Like okay. Stuart pot. Cause of course <laughs> the dumbest names. Yeah, I was really excited to kind of get the chance to revisit this because it's been a long time since I've I've really listened through this this flagship album. Yeah, I was going to ask you how long it had been since you last listened to this whole thing. Oof, man, start to finish, it's got to be at least, say, five years easy. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I've got five or six kind of tracks that I've always kept with and they just have always clicked for me. Yeah. But it's been a really, really long time since I sat down and really listened through it. Which I didn't realize, honestly, once I started doing it for this, I was like, man, it's it's been a while and fuck, I need to do this more often. <laughs> so like just kind of as a preface to this album before we get into it, I'm, obviously, you know, now this album is a genre mashing brain melting experiment, essentially, like every track has distinct different influences. They have some kind of commonalities, but they really play with different ways to produce sound and to create music on every single track. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was kind of Damon's whole point is that he, I guess one day sitting around in his flat after he, he got dumped, he was watching MTV, he was binge watching MTV and he realized by the end of it, like all of the stuff he was watching was starting to just blur and blend together. And it was just all the same crap rehashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually literally as far as I could find the reason the first track on this album is called rehash is because he wanted to point blank say, you know, I'm tired of listening to the same 10 songs get recreated. So I'm going to present you something similar, but I'm going to do it in a way that's completely different than what you're used to. And yeah, it's just more as an educated adult now that that concept and that ideology, I really love approaching music that way. I think it puts, it would put you in a really kind of cool, different headspace to produce yeah, I just, it was honestly like, I picked this album out by pure coincidence and saw some cartoons on it and was like, oh, this is the album for me. And mm-hmm. it's been one of the few bands that I regularly listen to and have since that day. And of course, as a kid, the fact, excuse me, the fact that it came out like on my birth month, relatively close to my actual birthday too. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those. 
I mean, when I was a kid, I said my favorite hockey player was Steve Eiserman because he had the same first name as me. <laughs> like, so it for sure started as one of those things. But I think Gorillas really did do a lot when it came to how the industry was viewing music. And honestly, like, it feels a bit like a brag. But um, <laughs> they they remind me almost of that same kind of like energy Daft Punk has where none of Daft Punk's first couple albums really are conventional songs. Like most of them have six words to their lyrics or the same, you know, hook repeated over and over again, but they're one of the most successful artists that's ever performed. Yeah. And gorillas to me felt kind of like that. They broke the mold and proved you could still be successful doing it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, admittedly, I don't know much about Daft Punk. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of way out of my comfort zone with this album and kind of with this kind of music. I remember when Clint Eastwood came out. Um, I didn't like it. <laughs> and I didn't really pursue the gorillas beyond that. Um, when I was in high school, when this came out, my family didn't have cable. We didn't have satellite TV. So I didn't. I never watched MTV or much music until way past what would be considered sort of my like musical prime in terms of like developing my taste and at the time i was listening to pretty much nothing but grunge music so if it didn't have guitars in it i pretty much didn't want to hear about it (laughs) fair enough so when you suggested this i knew i was going to be out of my comfort zone i tried to approach it with an open mind and i really really struggled with this album and i don't know if i struggled with it in the same way that like we talked about last week where we both struggled with bad finger and then by the end of it we're like oh i think i actually really like this I think there's moments on this album that I enjoyed. I think there's songs I like on this album. As a whole listening experience, I find the whole thing very forgettable, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And honestly, like, it's one of those things I did think when I was re-listening to it. I was like, man, I didn't realize how much of this album is that kind of wild out there alt feel to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of the first things I was like, man, this is going to be... This is going to be a wild ride for for Britain, for sure. Just because even now I know that this isn't your style of music, right? No, I don't listen to a lot of hip hop, if if I'm honest, like, which is kind of like hip hop, trip hop and stuff like that. I would say at this point, I listen to a hell of a lot of sort of instrumental music. I have notes for every song, as I always do. But basically, a lot of them boil down to I love the musical track. I hate the voice on it. (laughs) Yeah. I listen to a lot of like um, lo-fi or uh, downbeat or um, what am I looking for? What am I looking for? God, I listen to it all the time. One sec. <laughs> but yeah, like I get it. Cause right. My notes at the start, like my starting note for this album, honestly, is that it's like this album's everything. It's electronica, it's industrial, it's hip hop, it's Latinx, it's folk, it's alt rock. Yeah. Um, and then like, they've got the one instrumental track, but I think, honestly, that is a big part of the appeal musically for the Gorillas is that their tr- like music tracks are always crazy on point. They're very, very well done. Yeah, and then that's where I got that kind of Daft Punk vibe is because sometimes the vocals are either not good or the lyrics are nonsensical crap. Yeah, <laughs> but for me, <laughs> somehow that just works. Yeah, um, and so I. I 
what I was saying as well is, yeah, I listened to like a lot of lo-fi and Vaporwave was what I was thinking. Of. There we go. I couldn't think of a word to help you so that I would just talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like I listened to a shitload of that and a lot of the instrumental on this album, a lot of them sound like that. And so, and, I, and I'll just say out of the gate, like I really don't smoke weed anymore and I didn't <laughs> listen to this album high, <laughs> which may have really Im- affected my enjoyment of it. But I find the older I get, the less I enjoy being high. So I wasn't really about to go down that road. But I don't know. Do, I know you partake and it's all legal now. So who gives a shit? Like, did you did you discover this album? Like, I know you, you found it when you were eight. But like during this process, did you sort of like go, I'm too sober to be listening to this album? Or, you know, in hindsight, that should have occurred to me. Because the minute you said it, I was like, fuck, that's a good idea. Um, but no, I actually specifically made the choice to not listen to this because I, t- I felt for me personally, like when I get high, a lot of times, like I'm very particular about the strains I smoke cause I use it for pain. And right. a lot of times what that comes with is like, like that, like brain fog almost. Right. And I was concerned that like, if I listened to the album high, I would either not retain anything or my notes would be garbled <laughs> gibberish. <laughs> Um, so I actually refrained from it every time I listened, but in hindsight, that was a mistake because I really should have done another listen through high because right. I'm sure it's a wildly different experience. Um, and we kind of touched on that when we, we listened to Pink Floyd, right? Yeah. So like, I really enjoyed it, but I absolutely instantly recognized why people listen to it high. Like, yeah. And yeah, this album totally has that same feel. So I might, I might do it again, <laughs> do another listen through. And we'll just pop some notes somewhere on it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, I was also thinking, like, this is also the first Gorillaz album. And although, as I said, I didn't particularly enjoy it, I would be interested in revisiting one of their later albums because I think this is very much like, you know, it's the first album. It's their first stab at it. What they've got now, they're, what, three or four albums in? Oof. These days, a lot more than that, actually. Okay, so just- They've so been a like shitload more albums and them. yeah, and like the the web series and stuff like that. Like this was them playing with it or him playing with it. Mm-hmm. This must be much more refined by now. Yeah, it oh definitely is. They definitely kind of fell into their groove. Um, I would say their next like I would say their strongest album honestly is probably um, Demon Days, which was okay. two thousand five. I think it was their third album. I want to say. Okay. Um, I think that is a much more solid, much more polished album. And I, one of the songs on Demon Days is Dirty Harry. So it was right. It was like a nice little callback to the song that started it all. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I haven't listened to Demon Days through in, oof, man, probably 10 years, if not longer. But like Feel Good Inc.'s a much more, I don't know, I want to say standard because that feels like it's underselling it. But mm-hmm. Feel Good Inc.'s a much more kind of conventional radio track for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dirty Harry's a bit out there if I'm remembering it correctly. Um, but yeah, by by 2005, they had for sure figured out their sound. And like, I think the latest one they released might actually be an EP. It's called Songs or was it Tracks from the Song Machine or something. It's part okay. of their like web series they do. I found it was much more of, it felt much more like a callback to the their first like two gorillas oh yeah i actually looked it up so 
Demon Days is actually their second album, their second studio album. They had had like it looks like a EP or something they had released in 2003. Okay. But yeah, so like Demon Days was 4 years later and then Plastic Beach came another 5 years after that. But one not to sidetrack too much, but actually one thing I wanted to say was really cool is The Fall, which was their their album after Plastic Beach but before Humans was also 2010, but they released it online. And they they dropped, I only remember because they dropped it Christmas Day online. And then they finally did a like pressing release, like three or four, it was like April or May after. Okay. But like the album sold like crap because it was available online for a full three months ahead of time. Mm. I mean, 2010, that was, we weren't even talking Livewire and Napster in those days. That's like, you're talking views, you torrent, you could get the good shit. Yeah. Um, so I remember the fall commercially being an absolute train wreck because everybody just pirated it and listened to it online. And I'm sure I did as well. But yeah, like I think their sound evolved. I think they did a pretty good job of sticking to that kind of funky alt rock vibe they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say if you're going to try and give any other a listen, um, go for demon days and give feel good Inca shot. Um, I'm pretty sure I've heard that song. It sounds very, like the title sounds very familiar. And I'm sure if I put it on, I'd be like, oh, I've heard this. Yeah, I was going to say, you've probably at least heard it in passing. Um, It wasn't as successful as like Clint Eastwood was, but it got a lot of radio play. Yeah. Um, And like, even now, Spotify throws it in my daily mix, probably four or five times a week. Like, it's just (laughs) a song I just really enjoy having on, even though Danielle hates it. Because it starts with this, like, honestly, it is a pretty creepy laugh, but it starts with this, like, really deep almost like chuckle laugh is the intro. Daniel fucking hates it. Makes her skin crawl. (laughs) Every time it comes out, she's like, I hate this song. It's so creepy. (laughs) I'm playing it right now. I've heard this song. Yeah. (laughs) I've definitely heard this song a bazillion times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like Dirty Harry's another good single they released off that one. Um, But yeah, like Gorillaz just is one of those bands. They didn't compromise their sound a lot. They just kind of refined it over time up until you got to the point where like, they're doing this like YouTube releases where um, Damon will just sometimes drop a new track on YouTube without telling anybody simply because yeah. he wanted to make a song. Cool. Yeah. So like starting off with rehash rehash is a tough, it's a tough sell as the first track on the album. And I think understanding the viewpoint Damon had and the kind of concept for the band, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, but Man, it's a hard song to get through first, like right through the gate. How did you feel about it? I didn't really think much about it. It sets a very cool stylistic theme for that's almost kept for the whole album. The problem I had with it was when we got to five four. It basically sounds like the same song but backwards. Yeah, no, that's um, that's a the guitar part assessment. Yeah. So I was listening to it, you know, for the first time ever, and I listened to rehash, and I was like, all right, you know. Didn't really connect with me. Didn't really have a lot of thoughts on it. But, you know, I try and keep like blank slate, not taking notes, not making any judgment when I listen to an album for the first time all the way through. It's like just I'm, you know, I am but a blank canvas, just like paint your artistic vision onto me and I'll make a decision at the end if I want to listen again. So I've heard it. I don't know. My biggest problem with these songs is because I didn't connect with them. I can't remember any of them. So I'm going to be listening to the album as we do this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I was wanting to remember the song. So this is like, you know, as you said, you know, we've never come to an album that we haven't connected with or we just didn't care for. I'm afraid this is it for me. I just 
you know, I didn't listen to it as many times as maybe I should have, but I also struggled every time I did to get through it. First time I listened to it, I was like, how many more songs are left? (laughs) Um, So again, I think, I think a lot of my notes are going to be the same. I think this is going to be very much a you driven episode because I'm going to try not to like be too negative about these things, but um, mostly it's just kind of, I don't, I don't dislike it. I don't particularly like it. I kind of nothing it. Yeah, that's fair. Like almost just like a neutral output on it at the end of the day. Yeah, like I wouldn't be upset. Like if somebody put this album on, I wouldn't be like, turn that shit off. But it's like, I wouldn't be like, oh, sweet, the gorillas. I'd just be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I know no. what this is. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, like I said, like, for me, this just is kind of what I'm into. It's just, this is obviously the core of where my music experience grew from. Um, because, yeah, like going back and listening to it, to me, it was almost like listening to it all over again for the first time. Like mm-hmm. there were, there were little like bits I had forgotten, you know, tracks I had completely forgotten were on the album. And it's just, yeah. So like rehash is like you said, I think it's a really good stylistic choice. Um, I think it kind of, especially knowing the mindset, it sets the tone for the rest of the album really well. Um, but yeah. I do agree. It's, it's a relatively like plain song. Like the vocals are almost non-existent. There's only like I think the same repeating four lines of lyrics. Yeah, and um, then they go ba 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 ba. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so like even I don't have a ton of notes on rehash. Like I thought it was, it was a cool way to get to kind of convey the message they wanted. And I think naming it rehash is kind of just cute and funny because it's literally he sat down to rehash everything he'd been listening to on MTV. And it's just like, yeah, yeah and let's just call it that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not rehash the word it's rehash. Like this whole album, like we talked about should be listened to high. Probably mm-hmm. the first song is called hash. Oh yeah. And yeah, let's get, I guess let's just <laughs> disclaimer that out of the way. A great many of these songs are about weed and about being yeah. very high. And I'm sure drugs that I've never even seen in real life. Even if I only know the names, like <laughs> they were already pretty successful from blur. Like, money wasn't really an issue at this point. Hence why he was able to just kind of create yeah, an he wanted. with an artist. And yeah, like, oh, for sure. I have no doubt a great many of these songs were completely conceived, recorded, and written well under the influence of something. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's a cute kind of fun intro to the album. I don't think it really brings anything extraordinary to the table. I thought five, four was a much stronger track, but that's only to me because five, four plays with that kind of poppy sound that was popular at the time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's a clever title. The song is in five, four. Yeah. And isn't, I might be wrong. Like this is just me pulling knowledge out of years of reading random shit, but isn't <laughs> five, four relatively like rare chord progression for pop songs. It's not a chord progression. It's a time signature. Or, Whatever, yeah, yeah most rock songs are in <laughs> most rock songs are in four four, which is like one two three four two two three four. Mm-hmm. This one, if you put it on at the beginning and start counting, you're gonna go one two three four five two two three four five. Okay. Um, which yeah is is unusual. Not a lot of rock songs play with weird time signatures unless your band name is Rush. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, so you know, every once in a while you'll see like you know. YouTube grunge lists or something like that. Grunge being the YouTube channel, not yeah. but like um, them bones by Allison changes in seven, eight, five, four uh, money by Pink Floyd. Pretty sure it's in five, four. Nice. 
Maybe that's why I like Rush so much because they play with. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Rush is uh, all about them time signatures. I'm just going to confirm what time signature money is in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I knew it had something to do. I obviously corporation wasn't the right term, but I knew it had something to do with the like the beats of the song, and I thought right away you could tell it was different from what yeah. you would be used to hearing. Yeah, money's in seven four. Jeez. So if you think of at the beginning, not to get into it, but if you think of like, you must know money by Pink Floyd. I know you don't know oh, yeah. a ton, but you must know, I know money. I know money. I'm literally. So if you think of like the opening thing where it's like a cash register and chains dropping. Yeah. There's seven sounds. Yeah. I was literally just tapping in my finger on my desk to the beat in my head. Do, 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 do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, two, two, three, four, five, six. That's cool. So. Yeah, so it's 5-4. It's cool. It's cool that they use a weird time signature. I mean, they're obviously impressed with themselves. because they, <laughs> You know, but again, it's like these songs are kind of like, there's not a lot of lyrics in them. There's not a lot of anything. So I think a lot of these songs, song titles are probably neither here nor there. You know, why is Clint Eastwood called Clint Eastwood? Yeah, like, it has nothing to do with the song. <laughs> I will say that like, you know, like I say, like, it's a visual experience. And I think like when I saw what the album cover was same as you all i knew was clint eastwood i knew nothing else about this album and i didn't know if clint eastwood was even uh an accurate portrayal of what the whole album sounded like because you know um one of this the like i was introduced to the band zero seven if you're familiar with that band because of the song that they had on the garden state soundtrack and it sounds like nothing else that they do and so i didn't know if clint eastwood was going to actually be an accurate representation of what the musical sound was going to sound like but i'll say that when you look at the album art and you hear the songs, it sounds like the album art. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's something that kind of goes understated with Gorillas. I think that visual aspect of it is a very, very critical part of the experience. Definitely if you're not sober. Um, but right when I think of these songs, a lot of times what I picture in my head is the visual component, like either the album art or the like the music videos I remember watching or yeah. One of my listens through with this, I literally listen on YouTube so I could watch the I could watch the music video side by side. And oh, I that's did, clever. I did find that it it I couldn't explain why in any way, but it did it helped me kind of get into the sound more. Like yeah. I think because it's almost like I think it's almost because the lyrics are so not understated but intentionally minimized in a yeah. lot of this album. I think the idea is to almost get you into oh I'm watching this and this is the soundtrack for it. Yeah. They're kind of tap dancing around like trip hop or like trance music almost a little bit. Yeah. With some of like the, some of the beats they're using and the, the lack of, you know, lyrical content. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that as a slight, you know, I, I like a lot of songs that have, you know, only a couple of lines in them. I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. As much as we get into Sid Barrett and his many, you know, many different words, and we spent 10 minutes talking about the word eider down and stuff like that, as <laughs> much as we like lyrics and we love lyrics and talking about them, I don't think it's necessary to have excellent lyrics for a good song. I think there's a lot of bad songs with great lyrics and a lot of, you know, half decent songs with very little to no lyrics in them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think it's probably like, especially at the time, and especially like when I got back into the Gorillas when I was. 13 14 kind of hitting my stride on all things you know seen and edgy yeah. i think that's a big part of kind of what spoke to me about the gorillas is that they don't compromise skill or sound really mm -hmm. but they they can cons like they consistently push the bounds like and obviously right 
not compromising sound and talent. That's an extremely subjective thing. Um, yeah. But I think this album's a really good showcase for that. So, like, you've got Rehash, which is honestly kind of nothing. We got 5-4, which, again, doesn't bring a lot to the table, but it's just kind of a fun experiment. It's a cool soundscape. I'll say this. It's a cool soundscape. Like, if you when you listen to it with headphones, and I'm not sure if you did. Yeah. But um there's like little 8-bit video game sounds and stuff mixed into it like that's what i'm saying like (laughs) instrumentally and musically this album's really really interesting it's the word it's the people who (laughs) sing on this album despite the fact that it's went on a thing about like it doesn't need to have a lot of lyrics i find the voices on this album really suck me out of it i think if there was a instrumental version of this album i would listen to it constantly yeah i think that's that's a really good point to make is that i think instrumentally there are much more impressive body of work and for me like the lyrics the voices are and they're odd and i think it's his attempt to almost create that like anime cartoony kind of voice to match the character that was drawn um so i don't know if you know but like 2d especially is this like he's gangly and super skinny his like proportions aren't quite right he just looks like this (laughs) waste about ex grunge musician yeah, and I've it, seen some of their music videos ages and ages ago, so I'm sort of familiar with their characters. Yeah, so I think a big part of the way some of the lyrics are sung, especially on this first album, is to almost reinforce that that mental image of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree that I don't think it does a lot of the songs any good service at all. Um, <laughs> a lot of times it does. It just it covers up what's a very incredibly complex or interesting sound bed. Yeah, they they really go they really go sideways lyric like musically with some of the songs. Like just just like let's jump to tomorrow comes today. They're using a melodica in that song, and that's they're getting the main riff from it. Yeah, melodica being one of those like little like mouth keyboard things. It's basically a toy. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one thing I had actually kind of planned to ask you for tomorrow comes today, um, specifically because it's got the melodica in it. And so I was wondering if yeah, like if the sounds throughout the album were interesting to you because. Where I just I really love it as a complete musical package. You have a lot more background in picking out what those odd little noises are or what <laughs> interesting fun twists they're kind of putting in. So yeah, like Tomorrow Comes Today is the first kind of like hip hop centric track on the album. And yeah, they use a fucking melodica for it. Like it just I don't know, kind of blows me away. Like I love and I'll always love bands that try something different. Especially totally. if they do it and it it works because a lot of times it doesn't, but like, it's a big reason I'm, I'm a Bowie fan. Honestly, is I don't like a lot of Bowie's discography, but I love that periodically throughout his career, Bowie was just like, eh, this shit's boring. Now let me try this. Yeah. Didn't Bowie didn't care in the slightest if it ever worked or would ever sell. It was just like, eh, I want to try something new. Yeah. Bowie kind of like accidentally hit, hit it out of the park on his first several albums. We'll get to Bowie one day, but yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> Tomorrow Comes Today is the first song on this album that I like. The first two, I could give or take. Yeah. Tomorrow Comes Today, I like I like it musically, and I like the way it's sung. It's not sort of really overbearing like some of the other songs are. It's a good song. I like it. I don't have a lot to say about it um, in terms of construction or what the lyrics are or anything, but in terms of like a listening experience, it's a good song. I liked it. No, that's good. Yeah, so like, again, lyrically, it's not anything special. It's it's two two verses, one of which is the same line three times uh-huh. and a chorus hook. It's not even like a full fucking chorus. I'm a big act. I'm actually a big fan of hip hop, like a much bigger fan than I ever kind of realized to the last couple of years. 
and yeah, just something about this track I really liked. I thought it was really put, well put together. I thought like the the influences came through while still sounding like a gorilla song. Like, but for sure, like tomorrow comes today, I would probably classify as like a lo-fi song. Yeah, I don't know much about what the distinction is with like trip hop and stuff. Honestly, I'm really bad with like what makes a genre a genre. I don't really um, know either. If I'm honest, it's just sometimes I find playlists that are called like you know trip hop at work or some such thing, and it's like okay, whatever that means to this person, but I like the playlist, <laughs> right? So yeah, it just I liked that kind of that smooth, almost like lo-fi hip hop sound to it. It's it's a good song to me. It's not one of the stronger ones. Um, this honestly, man, going through and picking like my favorite tracks off this album, like favorite track was, I had to listen to this thing like three times. (laughs) I just, I guess I really underestimated how much I still really, really love the gorillas. Do you have your two picked out for the playlist? Yes, I do. All right. Well, at least you got that far. (laughs) (laughs) Today, after doing my final (laughs) re-listen, I was able to finally pick two, (laughs) but dang, man, it took me a while. So yeah, so Tomorrow Comes Today, it's a really good like lo-fi, hip-hop-infused track. Um, and I think Tomorrow Comes Today and then the follow-up track, which, get your bingo cards ready, because the song's called Punk, baby. <laughs> um, I think I the thought, two of them... I thought the next one was New Genius Brother. Are you talking about you? Oh, did I? No, I just put my notes in the wrong okay. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you just jumped to song seven. I did like four songs, yeah. <laughs> So scratch them being next to each other. We'll get to punk. Yes. He did say it though. So yeah, (laughs) get your free space on your bingo card. Um, Regardless, I think we'll get there, but I think the, like the contrasting feel between like punk and tomorrow comes today really helps sell the concept of the album. I think it shows you that they're here to take the things they loved, but still also kind of make fun of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Saying that moving on to new genius, I, I don't even really have any notes about New Genius. I like it like, in the same way I like Tomorrow Comes Today. It sort of reminds me of Massive Attack, sort of that like relaxed Tronica kind of vibe. I don't even know if that's a yeah. genre of music, but it's what my friends and I in uh, high school and college call like Massive Attack, Portishead, some Zero Seven stuff like that kind of music. We were listening to a shitload of that at the time. We called it relaxed Tronica. So <laughs> that's what I've always hey, called that's, it. <laughs> that's, a fr- that's, really, that's a really good moniker. <laughs> my notes literally say, what genre is this song? Because... I, I don't know what how to describe it, but that's it's that kind of I always just kind of called it vibe music. Yeah, because, yeah, it's just relaxed and kind of I don't know. I don't have much to say about New Genius. It's a good song. I do really like it. I think Relaxtronica is an incredible fucking way to describe it. I think it's the first song, too, on the album that genuinely has like some semblance of real lyrics to it. Yeah, which is funny because uh, my notes were it reminds me of Massive Attack and I'd rather it didn't have singing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really common kind of concept here is you just really don't like the vocal, eh? No, I don't. Not especially. And that's not to say that they're not, there's not, there's anything particularly wrong with them. They just don't connect with me. I think I'm just not into the voices. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, In some cases I do, but you're going to find this is a theme for me. I really like it musically. It's a shame they ruined it with putting voices on it. <laughs> that's it. That's that's what we've got to request before David retires. Just give us all instrumental gorillas and I'll pay just an obscene amount of money for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have an obscene amount of money because our podcast has been that successful, then by all means. <laughs> I do think lyrically, at least this one is one of the few tracks that has sensical lyrics that are matched to the song, which is essentially just about 
Essentially, don't trust the people in the music industry because they're going to fucking lie to you yeah. and will attempt to ruin your life if you're not good enough. The chorus essentially is, uh, do what you must do. Don't trust people you meet. They may promise you that the river ain't deep. And it's just, I think, like a commentary on probably the circumstances surrounding Blur. Yeah. Because Blur had this really rocky trajectory. Like it shot up and then it went nowhere. And then five years later, I think it was, they shot back up again. And then they there's just nothing else for them to do together. Like the label didn't want anything from them. The artists weren't getting along very well. I know things got messy with like the artist for the gorillas was a friend of Comox. I think he was the bassist from Blur. Okay. So apparently Damon and the artist whose name I did write down. I just got to find it in my fucking horrible notes I've got here. Um, <laughs> I left them out in the rain. Right. My dog ate them. Yeah. Um, Jamie Hewlett. So apparently Damon and Jamie Hewlett did not like each other at all. Like did not get on in the slightest. They were essentially just like friends of mutual friends. And then I don't know what happened. I couldn't find any co- like cohesive story. <laughs> essentially like, so Damon got separated, got dumped, whatever it was mm-hmm. from his partner at the time. And at the same time, Hewlett had been dating. Was it? Hewlett was dating the ex-girlfriend of Comox from Blur, I think it was. Okay. So that created a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> and then they broke up. And I guess Damon and Jamie just got a flat together because they knew each other and they both needed a place to live. Okay. So these two people who just didn't really like them each other much just started renting an apartment together, <laughs> laying around doing drugs and watching MTV, and then became the gorillas. And I couldn't find any series of events that led to it but yeah like really tight band went nowhere all broke up (laughs) there's some like cross dating with exes so every relationship got completely fucked and then these two people who were mild acquaintances at best started renting an apartment together and created a (laughs) the band gorillas yeah just wild shit and it i mean probably goes a long way to showing how like the people creating gorillas for the first album weren't super stable and that probably kind of speaks to why the album itself pretty unstable i mean by now i've been pretty clear i love me a good concept album Mm. but this album is neither concept nor story it's just whatever the hell it wants and i kind of also guess just dig that too collage (laughs) yeah right honestly it just feels like almost like a bunch of songs that were just recorded and they're like eh, let's make an album yeah just put it all on there send it out in the world yeah it's interesting what will come when an artist has the financial security to do anything they fucking feel like. Yeah. Right. Like how, how many artists with indie concepts ever get that opportunity? Yeah. <laughs> That's a long tangent, but yeah, new genius. It's a good song. It's got a really good, like mellow, just got a good vibe to it. Like you just, I just feel good listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the vocals. I like the lyrics. I like that. At least on one song, they attempted to put like coherent lyrics into it. <laughs> That goes away real fast. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I honestly, I don't have much for New Genius, just that it was like, I couldn't figure out what genre it would be in. Um, but I think Relaxtronic is a really good way of kind of selling it. Um, and that's that's a common thread, I think, in this album, is the one the one influence in every track is that Electronica. Yeah. Like, they, they never get rid of that techno vibe they've got going on. Yeah. And I dig that. I'm actually like, as far as electronica goes now, I'm actually, I'm really into like electro swing is what it's called. Oh, so good. 
Cool. So moving on from tomorrow comes today. Next is the hit. <laughs> yes. So moving on from New Genius um, is the the hit, the one everybody knows. Good old Clint Eastwood. So popular, it got put in a Trolls movie like 20 years after the song came out. Yep. <laughs> and, I just... and that's... I hate it because that's what I picture in my head when I hear it now is that goddamn Trolls movie, even though I think the music video for Clint Eastwood is a it's a artistic fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Like it's it doesn't have cinematography because it's animated. But if it did, oh, my God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like the shots, the lighting, the mood is just so consistent. And like the way it slowly amps up. I mean, when the, the like <laughs> the like brainwashed zombie gorillas show up things get a bit off the rails but i i love it as a piece of i think it's a goddamn piece of art the music video alone and i think this is one song for sure if you listen to the song while watching the music video it's a totally different sensation like yeah it just it really changes how you feel about the song saying that one it's still one of my favorite songs um because man i love i love the fucking the like rap when Dell shows up, oh, it's so good. And the like the beat just shifts and then it just becomes this really well made like hip hop rap track. Yeah. I think it's it's so well done. And I don't ever find it jarring when we're switching from that slow climbing alt rock into that like fast in your face rap. I think it's just it's blended really, really well. Mm-hmm. But I mean like again, the rap lyrics are coherent and good and i really like them the chorus honestly makes no fucking sense at all no matter how many times you read it (laughs) (laughs) like we all know what sunshine in in a bag is but i'm useless but not for long the future is coming on i don't know how to break this to you people but doing drugs out of a bag is not going to make you less useless (laughs) (laughs) quite the opposite Um, really right and it's this song sells that point to you because the person who says, Hey, I've got drugs and I'm about to do something with it. Then proceeds to do nothing. (laughs) A completely different artist shows up to actually produce and create the track. And I kind of love that about the song. It still (laughs) lyrically makes no goddamn sense, but man, Oh, that first, like literally that like first rap, like hook, like finally someone let me out of my cage that like verse like still sends shivers down my skin. Like I just, I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if like the music backing it, I don't know if it's the slow, like where it breaks down into the slow drum beats, whatever it is, it's just, Oh, this track is so good. I love it so much. <laughs> like I, I specifically put it in my notes to try not to do this, but like, man, I love this band and I love these tracks so much. It's hard to have constructive criticism because listening to it, I'm just like, Oh my god, it's so good, and I don't, I don't have the experience or the knowledge to adequately convey why. But it's just so good. Like everybody, go listen to Clint Eastwood right now. Don't worry <laughs> about it because I am a hundred percent the balancing of this teeter totter, where you are all like, I love it. I I like every song to a certain degree. I have so many happy memories about this album. I'm just like. <laughs> So my Clint Eastwood experience, I don't remember. It's probably not the first time I heard the song. I remember hearing the song when it came out on the radio, driving to work or some such thing. I liked the beginning of it. And then when the rap started, I was like, eh, 
So I really wasn't a rap fan in any way, shape or form at the time. I didn't even consider it music at the time. I was like, it's just like extreme beat poetry. Oh, that's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> Which I didn't really get anything out of. But I mean, I can admit that I was, you know, a very narrow minded musically teenager. If it wasn't classic rock or grunge music, I really had no time for it. And I kind of shit on people that liked other kinds of music. So I remember when this song came on, I was like, I'm into it. I like it. And then he says, I'll make it all manageable. And I was just like, that's so clunky and I hate it. And I changed the radio station. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Listening to it I mean, every I time I've listened to it. Every time I listen to it, I know I make it all manageable is coming. And <laughs> it doesn't rhyme. He doesn't rhyme the word with another word in the end of the next line. It's just so clunky. It just rips me right out of it. I don't know why. It's it's such a stupid reason. But like the, you know, the, the beginning yeah, is great. Oh yeah. You know, suddenly someone let me out of my cage. You know, all that shit. I'm there. I'm there. And he's like, it'll make it all manageable. I'm just like, fuck this. Pick and choose. Sit and lose. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's the hit. Um, I know why it's the hit. It's a very catchy song. It's a great earworm. And it was definitely of its time, you know, like in terms of the kind of songs that were getting popular at the time, this was definitely the kind of song that would have been popular at the time. The, the half singing, half rapping was, was just enormous at the time. Like Lincoln Park had just come out around that time, I think. Yeah. I mean, early two thousands, that was right. When, they were starting to kind of play with how to get rap to get mainstream yeah. listen. So you had a lot of mostly white <laughs> bands trying to rap to a like specific beat and a very recognizable yeah. one. So yeah, like man, a lot of that music from the era, I totally get writing off and I do get the way he says manageable is I don't ever really notice it now, but that's just cause I'm super <laughs> biased. But I totally understand how it breaks the flow. And I found like where you described it as like beat poetry is it's a really, really good description. And I think that's a big part of why I like it. Like I think it's rap by a rap artist who understands what they're doing, but presented in a format that we didn't really get for another, oh, I'd say easy 10 years or so before that kind of fast beat mix rap, like R&B hip hop feel like it just never really broke mainstream and we didn't even really hear much more of it for a long yeah. ass time. And I think like realistically, I think the second verse is better. I think it's, it's got better flow. It's got better lyrics. Um, and it's got that core, like that second verse actually has like a theme to it. Right. It's all about like the opening line is the essence, the basics um, without, did you make it? And then goes on to say like uh, you have it or you don't, that's a fallacy. And he's talking about like, the natural ability to produce rhythm and create music and mm-hmm. rap. And it's just cool. Cause you very rarely ever hear artists be like, no man, pretty much anybody could do this, but you got to fucking, you got to try like work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Usually it's like you got talent or you don't. So it was kind of nice to finally have like that message kind of flipped, especially from like the style of music you wouldn't expect it in. And then, I mean, this song also continues on the triad of like, fuck this industry. Cause it's, really bullshit and corrupt like i made it but you know it was a goddamn stroke of luck (laughs) corruption in disguise from this fucking enterprise like just absolutely no bones about being like hey everybody i worked with before can go fuck themselves (laughs) um but yeah i agree i get why it it took off i get why it was popular and it was it was similar enough to the sounds that people were listening to with just a little bit of that like alt alt rock like ooh, i'm different and edgy and you're going to like it feel to it. 
totally get it. I mean, there's not really much I can say about Clint Eastwood other than like, I think as far as like hip hop tracks go on the album, I think their hip hop tracks are the strongest ones realistically, like as a whole. I think Clint Eastwood's probably the least of them, but it's such an earworm. Like you can't hear that chorus and not have it stuck in your head forever. If if you were someone trying to understand what music was between 2000 and 2010 or even 2000 and 2005, you would have to listen to this song. If you skipped this one, you're missing a pretty important part of it. So as much as it doesn't really do much for me, it's it's important in terms of like the musical landscape of the time. The song was enormous. Me as yeah, someone that only listened to classic rock and grunge music, I could prop like I could sing the chorus of this song. I could pull out at least the first verse of the rap and and I didn't even like it. And I knew it that well. So if you don't understand, if you don't listen to this song, if you're interested in understanding like music history and, and seeing how trends come and go and ebb and flow and that kind of stuff, like you have to listen to this song. Probably the same with Feel Good Incorporated, if I'm honest. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like Feel Good Inc. It was like, I don't know. And like, whereas Feel Good Inc. is like, it's similar and you know it's gorillas. I think in the same way Clint Eastwood's almost like a snapshot of what is and what was to come. Feel Good Inc. absolutely accomplished that same thing. And right, you got to think, like, this Clint Eastwood came out in March 2001. And that was, I mean, Fall Boy, I'm pretty sure, started the same year. Panic was only th- two, three years behind that. And, like, yeah, in the end, by Lincoln for whatever Park was reason, the next year. Yeah. And, like, Daft Punk, for some reason, was making this weird comeback. So, like, Clint Eastwood, and honestly, this Gorillaz album as a whole really shows you that, like, what was big during that five, 10 year period. Like, edgy scene kind of goth like dark vibes and lyrics electronica and then yeah like a good beat rap and like lo-fi r&b because you can you can tell that's where the music industry started taking all these niche markets and trying to make them marketable and make them mainstream and i think gorillas is a really good snapshot of this that little that little piece of music history because it just it kind of blends that all together yeah, it's also, it's sort of interesting because it's sort of, at that time, as we discussed, um, music was becoming really accessible on the internet, whether you acquired it legally yeah, or not. Absolutely. And so a lot of this sort of g- genre bending stuff started coming out around the time because all of a sudden people could get any song they wanted. It wasn't a matter of having 20 bucks to go down to the record store and buy something. It wasn't a matter of, does the radio station in your city play this kind of music? Or is there a radio station that does? Or do you do you have friends that will let you play this music around them or something like that? Like you could go on the internet, find literally any song you wanted for free and listen to it. And all of a sudden, artists and musicians and bands started having access to a lot more like different kinds of music and the genres that they could get access to that they may never would have bought. And so then you started getting all this stuff where it was like a mix of all these different things because... All of a sudden, people didn't have to pay to have access to it. Yeah, I, like I think that's a really good point. And yeah, I think it was, I can't remember what episode it was. But yeah, we definitely did kind of touch on it before. And I think from a con- consumer standpoint, that especially holds true, right? Because like you said, man, buying music used to be fucking expensive. Like like the reason the album was a, like a birthday gift was because spending 20 bucks on a CD was a big deal at the time. Um, yeah. Especially, right? Like I came from a, we're not going to say like poor background, but pretty close to um, sorry, like a lot of what I was listening to was just stuff my dad had. And the stuff my dad had was because when he walked into a record shop, he had to make the decision like, oh, I have $10 today. 
do I buy another punk album I know I'm mm-hmm. going to like, or do I try something different and hope I don't hate it? Yeah. And I think, right, people just naturally ended up falling into these little like genre shaped boxes of the stuff they had access to because they knew it was something they could invest in. And legality aside, the ability to just go online and listen and download and burn your own CDs allowed a whole new generation access to everything. And it's not that I've ever really thought about it, but it's probably a big reason why I personally have such a wide variety of music that I've kind of always loved. I'll be fair. I did also go through that shitty, my music's the best and everybody else can get lost. (laughs) Embarrassingly for me, that shit was Panic at the Disco for like three solid years. Oh yeah, give, give me all that <laughs> crunchy scene wannabe, heavy makeup, highlighted hair. I was you all. Don't strike for me it. as an emo, right? <laughs> long, long way I've come, but let me tell you, I mean, I actually never really dressed the part, like, and that was just a personal preference thing. Like, I just preferred a bit of color, some grays instead of blacks. Um, I wasn't big on. Let's be fair, fucking okay, growing up in the around the British military. There's no goddamn way I was walking around with makeup on. <laughs> like I'm ladies jeans. Fucking yeah, no way. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have to live like that anymore. But like, <laughs> it just, for whatever reason, that was just the what spoke to me. That was just what got me. And I was like, I was big into it. We're going to get to panic at some point too, because I'm going to make you listen to that shit. Part of that's because I think the lead singer, Brendan Urie's got one of the most impressive vocal ranges i've ever heard dude's stupid talented <laughs> that's all i'll say on that because i'll gush i'll gush about panic like i'm about to for gorillas like <laughs> i still love me some panic <laughs> at the disco but yeah like i think gorillas really encapsulated that idea that not all music has to be the same because somebody out there will want whatever you produce for me right like i was one of those people this album was just mm-hmm. it for me and i've just alt rock has honestly just kind of been the background of everything i've branched out to to this day like blink 182 was big <laughs> for a long time and i just i think clint eastwood i think clint eastwood out of all the songs on this album is one of the like the better examples of that i think it's a much more polished a much more conclusive kind of track and i think that goes to part of why like damon had written half of this album completely by himself he had recorded produced he had done everything and essentially at some point had just been like okay maybe i need to get some fresh eyes on this because right you're just you're gonna rabbit hole and start producing the same stuff over and over again because you know it worked and i guess clint eastwood was one of those and they i couldn't find the original performer's name but i i guess they'd actually had somebody else record the two verses for clint eastwood for dell the ghost and then somebody had contacted dell and was like hey do you want to give a shot at pumping out these lyrics and kind of seeing how they feel, how they sound, give us your feedback. And Dell's performance and Dell's recording of it just kind of impressed everyone enough that they were like, Oh shit, this is what's going into the song now. Like we need you to for real record these lines for us because you're going to be singing this track now. (laughs) Yeah. Just a fun little bit of trivia about the song. So moving on to the next, this is actually the track I pegged as my least favorite on this album. Man research in parentheses clapper. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the name. I don't know why it's not bad. I think it's got almost like a, it's got that like almost bluesy space rock. I want to say techno, but it's like if somebody took techno and stretched out every note you would normally find into far too long a stretch, (laughs) put them together. 
I still like it. I still think it's pleasant to listen to. I just, I don't think it, it just doesn't resonate with me the same way a lot of the other ones do. And I think like Starshine does that feel much better than this track does later on the album. Yeah, it just, it's good, but it's of a collection of some of my favorite songs. It's one of my least favorite, I guess is (laughs) the way I would put it. Um, And yeah, it just, it feels really drawn out and slow and, it just doesn't, I have no issues with slow songs and they've got a couple on here that are much yeah. slower, especially compared to like, you know, Clint Eastwood or five, yeah. four. And it just, this one just didn't do it for me. Like it's still on my playlist, but it's probably the song I'll skip over the most because I just, I don't know. I think honestly, if it had been a two minute song, I would have loved right. it. Almost just as like a little snippet of, we wanted to try this. This is where we got. I think at four and a half minutes long, it's significantly longer than it needs to be or should be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I sort of thought it was, again, a really cool basic track ruined by vocals. I, I would be more than happy to listen to this song as long as it is and as slow as it is and as stretched out as it is. If there wasn't somebody over the top of it going like... That too, straight up, like... I give them a lot of leeway and credit with their vocals and like their lyrics, but 90% of this fucking song is yeah, 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 yeah. In like this super high pitched nasally voice. Yeah. And even I can't do the whole thing. Like by this, like the second round of yeah, yeah's, I'm like, okay, come on, give me the fuck out yeah, of here, please. <laughs> who brought in um, Kevin or Kevin Glass? Class? The guy that does Elmo. Oh, shit. <laughs> I swear to God, if you ruined gorillas for me, man, I can't. Li- I can't hear Elmo every Kevin time. Kevin Clash, I can't do yeah, it. Sorry, Kevin Clash. I don't think he does it anymore. He got himself in some trouble, but uh, yeah, Kevin yeah. Clash is like fucking Elmo. So you're so right. I hate it. Let's jump though, because we're starting to get a bit long in the tooth, and we still got like half the album to go. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna power through a lot of these pretty quick. I think. So, like, moving on to not the fourth track but the seventh punk um i i really like punk i like what punk is it's very clearly just uh we're gonna include a punk genre song but it's going to take the piss out of everything stereotypically punk (laughs) the lyrics literally make no sense a lot of it is like backward sentences almost like he's singing yoda style i love the sound i think it really really does encapsulate that like early 2000s like new wave punk that was coming along and i love that he paired it with the like the raspy blown out garage vocals from like late 80s early 90s punk and it's a fun experiment track but that's really all it is it's not good it's not very well produced i don't think (laughs) yeah but right it's only a minute 30 and i think that goes a long way because i don't know if i could as much as i love it I don't know if I could listen to this song for like a full four minutes, but like I wrote down some of these lyrics. So I had them on hand. So I think it's the second verse. It's bound to the chair. Do me what you can bound to a door, get down on the floor, find out how we'll do with the loop till everyone says, shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute garbage. Like makes no goddamn sense. Um, another one, like right in the beginning is making of herself a number. <laughs> like, I don't think this song has a message mm-hmm. to send. That's why I don't think I know what it is. But I do think it's a very fun play on the two kind of distinct, almost like styles of punk in that 10, 
10, 15 year gap before the mm-hmm. gorillas. That's all my lyrics. I love it. I love that it's a punk track, Shit. obviously. I laugh every time I hear these stupid fucking lyrics because it just, oh, it's wild. <laughs> like, it's it just sounds like a song that wasn't supposed to be on the album, and that just kind of makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> I was sort of getting through the album. This song came on, and I was just like, eh. <laughs> I was happy for you. When it came on, I was just like, oh, Steven gets to say punk so many times. I knew it was probably going to be one you liked. I do like punk rock music. I got nothing like pass. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad no, about it because I don't want to ruin it for you. I just talked about how Elmo's on the previous song. I'll talk about it at the end. A little bit. Yeah, you speak your truth. <laughs> but like, I get it. I don't like it as a fan of punk music because it's not a good punk song. But I like it as like, a weird satirical take on punk. I don't even. I don't even know if it's a punk song. It's like it's like clap 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 clap. I don't know. It's, it just sounds like something they they wrote as a joke. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like as I said, it makes me laugh every fucking time I hear it because it just it doesn't sound like a yeah. real song that they ever intended to release. It just like it sounds like a bunch of musicians getting high and fucking around. And then somebody was just like, nah, let's put it on like, the open anyway. Like it should be the secret song. Down. Like it should come out at the end after like 15 minutes of silence and all of a sudden, you're like, what the fuck's happening? Oh yeah, for sure. Like as a bonus track, it would have made way more sense. Yeah. We can move on for punk. I just, I gotta say, I love what they did, how they played on those like little punk stereotypes, but I mostly love this song. It's just the craziest nonsense train wreck ever. And I don't know why, but I just, I love it. I love that it's an actual recorded on the album. Like they devoted almost two minutes of their album to this fucking train wreck song. Which speaks to the difference between recording albums to fit on vinyl records and recording albums to fit on CDs. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's just, yeah, I guess it's just a fun little microcosm of how much music production changed once the size of media expanded so exponentially yeah, record i think we talked about it before records are roughly i mean you could squeeze the grooves together a little bit but i mean for the most part they're about 45 minutes mm-hmm. a cd when this came out a regular cd would have been like 75 minutes i remember like later on there was longer cds that held more than 75 minutes but i suspect this was released at a time when the 75 minute cd was pretty much standard yeah i know one it would have been about 75 maybe 80 minute yeah. cds and so this album clocks in at one hour, nine minute, and that's with three extra tracks. So the album itself, as far as I know, ended at M1A1. Then this Dracula left hand Suzuki method and Clint Eastwood Ed case were bonus tracks. I can't remember because I was like, for some reason, I almost want to say I remember Dra- like I want to say I remember Dracula from the original one. Because according um, to Wikipedia, Dracula, like those are all bonus tracks. They're U.S. bonus tracks. But the album itself in its standard edition ended at M1A1. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I knew for sure the, we'll get there, but like the Ed Case Clint Eastwood remix, which I think is phenomenal. It's like a reggae take on Clint Eastwood. Everybody could listen to it. For sure was not on the original album. And Left Hand Suzuki Method, we'll just touch on these quickly because they're not part of the album. Yeah, I didn't really make notes on them, if I'm honest. I stopped at M1A1. I listened to them. Like, when I listened to the album all the way through, I listened to them. But yeah, I like the idea of us sticking with like, the standard edition, and then, you know, we can touch sort of briefly on any bonus tracks. But. Yeah, so, like, Ed Case, Clint Eastwood, it's really good. It's like a reggae remix yep. of Clint Eastwood. Totally different sound. They've added some lyrics. I think it's it's good. I think it's a fun way of another artist revisiting the song. Left Hand Suzuki Method, though, I just wanted to mention, because 
this fucking song is it's literally they got stupid high and their bassist like for this album because their bassist yeah. changed right so he's called like the phase one bassist the bassist was essentially just trying to show them how he learns new songs and essentially what it boiled down to was he would get really fucking high listen to the song by ear and just try to play along uh-huh. to it and he would just do that so many times until he could just do it right <laughs> like so like the breakdown is left hand they say is because the bass is played mm-hmm. with his left hand and they say essentially he would play with his left hand while holding a lit joint in his right and just strumming occasionally with this joint and then suzuki method is a practice in music I'm sure maybe you've come across it at some point i know it from psychology where you break down an extremely complex learning curve into small okay. steps so that it's, it's based around children. So it started with violins. And the idea was that you could teach a child to play professional violin. If you taught them one tiny step at a time, they would eventually just know okay. it all. And it's, it's the same idea behind children learning languages, like learning their, their mother tongue easier than adults can learn foreign yeah. languages. So yeah, it was literally like the basis was just like, yeah, I just get high and play out the song over and over and over and over again until I can do it right. <laughs> So they were like, fuck it, let's just do that and put it on this goddamn album, because why not? At that time. <laughs> like, right? But yeah, so like moving on from punk, the next one's uh, yeah. Soundcheck, or Gravity. I honestly, this is another one I don't have a ton of notes on. I really love the sound in Soundcheck. Like soundcheck. Um, yeah. I really, don't have much really to say, like. I'll jump on it. I really yeah, like this one. It. I think it's a really good slow jam. I think it's got really cool little sound effects. I think the little piano licks are great. It's it's a instrumental track, finally. I thought soundtrack technically has like 20 words in it or something bit. but yeah it's essentially an instrumental it's basically yeah. an instrumental it it's very similar to the stuff i listen to when i'm working which has you know the odd line in it repeated here and there very buried and it's kind of just all about the you know the music and the the repetition of it and so i would say for seven songs now i'm just been, i've been saying i really wish that didn't have singing this one didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's got a little bit, um, like yeah, a very absolutely. little bit, but oh, it's for sure basically yeah, coming out like, of punk and 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 from that like harshness, and then hitting this, and then it's just sort of sort of like really slow jammy and and laid back, and it's a good. I would put this on like a work playlist where I'm looking for stuff that doesn't have a lot of singing and distracting, where I just like I just need something that's just like a loop and it's just noise and this song like for me this song is is good for that that's good i'm glad you liked it because yeah i agree and i was hoping this would be one of the songs maybe you liked because you would talk so much about how instrumentally this band like this album's so very good it's it's interesting it's complex um it's still easy to listen to and yeah i think you make a really good point that was my one note about this is it's a really really smart way to get the energy back on track after Mm -hmm. punk because punk is yeah right so harsh and so sudden and i found this song really helped kind of just sneak you back into the vibe of yeah. the album but yeah that's really all i had to say like it's just really good instruments yeah honestly it's just really good saying that the next song hopefully i wrote my notes double right bass. this time yeah the next song is double bass i think this is a better instrumental song but that's just because i really love the way it, it like sounds i guess like i'm assuming obviously it's two different types of bass. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> creating it. that discordant difference. Um, and following the gorilla's very literal naming track, like style. Sometimes obviously it's, it's either a double bass guitar, which I think is a thing or two separate bass guitars. But I, I just, I like, it's got like a fun, almost like funk music 
vibe to it, which I was I don't ever expect to hear in albums, but I do love me some funk. Yeah, I just thought double bass was a really smooth like follow up, and I thought it was just like the sound in double bass to me was just a much more appealing yeah. sound. It's a bit heavier, it's a bit more fun. Like I said, it's got that almost like funk kind of undertone yep. to it. And that, I mean, I didn't have a ton more to say about that because it's just damn good listening. Like it's just very pleasing to listen yep. to. There's no vocals to comment on. There's no lyrics to digest. It's just good goddamn yep. instruments. And I'm always here for Truly that. Truly like, instrumental track, which is the best part. <laughs> yes, it definitely sounds like two um, different bases on it, two different kinds. I like that they, it sounds sort of almost down tuned. Like you can hear the strings like vibrating on the neck. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I didn't know how to describe it. Yeah, like that. I didn't know what was kind of making that vibe, like that sound almost. But like, I'm listening to it as well. I, don't I know am. Yeah. But like, totally. Yeah, you can. It's like, like if, if I close my eyes, I feel like I can picture the person like plucking the strings as they go along. And it's just. Very yeah, cool. like you're not supposed to have that sound on an instrument. You're not supposed to have that buzz. Um, but they've used mm-hmm. it really effectively here. Yeah, that's what we talked about like a little bit on Bones with the vocal yeah. fry, right? Like it's technically a result of bad production or bad vocal work, but it's those fun little things if you can find out a way to make them work and sound yeah. good. They just they add another layer of like kind of depth and complexity yeah. to it. So I'm glad the gorillas threw that on there because I think I think double bass like with that little like reverberating like sound, I think it kind of shows you the level of detail and care that has been actually put into yeah. the album, even though sometimes it sounds like there isn't any. And yeah, they challenge that kind of the expectations of what you would think it's going to be. And they just, just spin it on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a good, I think it's a good example yeah. of that. For me, honestly, like short of the next track, I think the first half of this album is stronger for me. Like I just, I like it more. It's just more by mm-hmm. my vibe, but moving forward into rock the yeah. house, I will say right away, Rock the House is, and it took a lot, <laughs> like a lot of soul searching to get there, but Rock the House is my favorite track. Oh, wow. This album. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I don't get, like, I love the, like, the hip hop feel to it. And I love that it's like, I can't think of it, but the intro, the first, like, two, three seconds there sounds like a fucking sitcom intro to me. Well, I find the um, I find I, the intro almost sounds like a game show from the seventies, and then the rest that's probably and then the rest yeah. of the song reminds me of like something from a two thousands teen movie where like the gang is like in their they're feeling themselves. I just I imagine like it's one of those shots from like behind the crew as they're like we're following them as they go through all these cool things oh, like they go to a party or you know then they go out for the yeah. evening and they're in the car with them or you know some such thing like it feels like you know, the part of the movie where it's supposed to establish that like, you know, these guys fuck, you know, like <laughs> you're like, has to go through the good times so that when it hits the inevitable dramatic downturn that you have this connection with them in terms of like, you know, but they were like, cool. They were just like going out and like, just having a good time. Like this feels like a song that would play yeah. behind that little montage. Yeah, no, I told you that. And yeah, I don't know. I'd like, and yeah, I think game shows are much better. Cause I was like, I literally put sitcom with a question mark. Cause I could have swore it was the intro to like a sitcom, but for hundred percent, it's a much, it's like a game show. It's like an old fun little poppy intro to a mm-hmm. game show. And I love that it goes, it's like 10 seconds of that. And then it goes into more of that, like almost like beat poetry yep. rap. And I think that juxtapositions really, really cool. And I think it's really well done. And I love that you still keep that like 
do 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 yeah, do flute in there, like, the little like jazz flutey thing. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, they just bust out this little like jazz flute that sometimes almost feels like somebody's playing it who doesn't know how to play flute. <laughs> and it's just, it's, just you know, it's hard to know in situations like this. It's like did they just kind of figure out the lick that they wanted so that they could recreate it? It's not somebody that actually can play the instrument. Yeah, I literally my note is literally the bad flute always makes yeah. me smile because it just does. When it just kicks in, it's so fun and so kind of unexpected. It's a happy song for sure. And yeah, and it's just a happy song. Like it just it just makes me feel better listening to it. And I picked it solely as my favorite because it's gotten the most replayability to mm. me. Especially like if you would have downplay the vocals on it. I could fuck. I could listen to Rock the House on loop forever. <laughs> like it just—it's a fun. It's just—it's fun. It's—it's it's got a cool juxtaposition between like the vocal stylings and the sound bed. Yeah, they throw that weird little like jazz flute in, and then you've got that like game show theme song that kind of continues on through yep. the background. I just—I really like it. It's—it's it's my favorite, not because it's the best song or the one I listen to the most, but because it just makes me the happiest and I, I think I could listen to it more frequently than the rest yeah. like well the other side of it is I would point out that where they've placed it on the album is good because the two songs like sound check and double bass the very down songs but this one brings you back up to a happier place but not in like a jarring way like they did it very obviously with punk yeah and it's supposed to make you laugh or you know, it's just it's a jarring switch, not only in musical genre, but in musical style and like how loud it is and all that stuff. But this one, they're bringing you back up slowly. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, and that probably is too, especially having like listened to this album start to finish every time for the last couple of days. It I do think their flow energy wise is really, really smart. I think you have those moments where, yeah, like it goes down a little bit and they try something different. And then they bring you back up before they experiment yeah. more with the exception, obviously, being punk. But for me, that was part of the message with punk was that ridiculous out of place jarring like, oh, holy shit, we're here. And yeah, it just I think double bass leads into Rock the House really, yep. really well. Like I don't there have for sure been times I'm listening where I don't even really realize the song has switched until like that little tune kicks in. I'm like, oh, fuck. Right. Yeah, yeah yeah it's just it's a really good it's a really strong song i think and i think it's it's a really good way to get you energized essentially because there's still another five tracks after this right like you're truly entering the back half of the album here and i think it's a if you look at it almost like side a side b i think rock the house is an incredible first track for side b yeah how did you feel at 19 2000 i just couldn't connect with it at all i listened to it and listened to it and listened to it you know much like on there was a track on the last album where i was like i got nothing (laughs) um this was Um, one of the singles which i found was interesting because it's like you know i guess it's i guess i can sort of see that a little bit but i don't know i didn't even know there's there was other singles on this album other than clint eastwood but yeah no i got nothing with this song so um i have no notes i'm literally on in my ears right now while i'm talking to you and i still can't think of anything to say about it (laughs) yeah like I like it. It's very keyboardy. This is kind of their like, I find a lot of their tracks have like focal points almost like you've got the punk, you've got the hip hop, the the rock, the bluesy opera almost. To me, 192000 is their electronica track. Like electronica is the core of this track and they built around that. And I think it's got a really fun sound. I love the music video for it is really great. I actually really love the music video. Other than that, I think it's a very interesting sound. I think it 
almost suffers a bit from being right after Rock the House because Rock the House is such a strong impact mm-hmm. for me. Um, but 19 2000 is honestly, of all of their songs, that's the one I remember the most from being a kid. Oh, because I I think it's from when 19 2000 dropped as the single. I think it got more radio play overall because where Clint Eastwood would only play on like alt rock stations, 19 2000 would pop up in a lot of like, even like top 40 songs because it's, it's non-offensive. It's easy to listen to. Um, Electronica was really becoming big then. Yeah. And I think it just, it hit the radio in a way that la- allowed it to get much more play. So I remember several more instances of actually listening to the song, even though like Clint Eastwood's still the one that comes to head when somebody says gorillas. And actually I think 19, 2000, they were originally, they were going to single five, four and they ended up sig- uh, releasing 19, 2000 as a single. Yeah. Instead. I think I read that. I don't remember the decision why, but yeah, crazy thing was they released three, three singles after the album released in March. <laughs> they released one in June, one in October um, and one of February the next year. Wow. And they all charted like top ten. It was, <laughs> I don't, I don't know who made that decision. That seems like a wild, completely industry controversial yeah. decision. But they fucking did it, and almost all of their songs hit like top ten. But other than that, it's 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 a good song. It's I like that they included a much more like electronic focus song because that's been the chord through the whole album. Other than that, though, it's just a fun kind of jaunty tune. It doesn't talk about anything important. There's no really theme to it. It's mostly stoner words again. <laughs> Still a fun yep. song. Moving on from that would be uh, Latin yep. Simone, Que Pasa Contigo Ooh. version. How exotic. <laughs> um, well, and actually the reason they put that distinction on is because there is a version of this song recorded in English by Damon Alburn as 2D. Okay. And then they recorded essentially the English version with 2D back when he was doing the album by himself. And then when they started bringing in more influences... They were able to get a Latinx singer whose name is Ibrahim Ferrer, I believe is how it's pronounced. I may be butchering mm-hmm. that. And they had him do a cup like a version of it. And they just they felt obviously like it was much more authentic. It just sounded better to have someone who actually like speaks the language and sings that genre of music yeah. to do it, obviously. So that was the one they went with. Saying that, I don't have a ton to say about the song because it's not in English. And I just didn't have the time to translate fucking line by line. So we could talk about the lyrics yeah. a bit, but I love me some like Latin influences in music. I think it's really fun and flowy and it's easy to picture kind of moving yeah. to it, but that's, that's about it for Latin Simone for I, me. I was too sober to connect with this song. Um, even to this day, Latin music is actually one genre of music. I really struggle to connect with um, as much as I really like all the instrumentation in it. I struggle with it. Yeah, that's fair. And, and, and um, I, I mean, there's a Ramstein song that's, that's like Latin. And even that, I'm just like, meh. Just, it just, oh my god, I'm that. <laughs> it's on their I got some Rosen to do note album. They've only played it like twice in concert, I think, in like South South America, of course. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm picturing what that sounds like in my head, and it's a wild ride. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually listened to the 2D version of uh, Latin Simone, but I'm pretty sure it'd be the, pretty simple. Like it just. It doesn't sound right in my head because I've heard the actual yeah. Latin version. Saying that, I like whereas I personally, I just I love that kind of Latin infusion. I really like the the instrumentality of it. I like the energy and the the kind of like movement and fun you picture with Latinx music, especially like that upbeat 
I don't know if it's like flamenco, but like the upbeat kind of dance yep. next. So still a good track. I think one of the issues with the side, this side of like this back half of the album, sorry, is that it like, they keep you such high energy for so long that when you come into that next track, Starshine, man, that's a steep drop for me. I really love Starshine because Starshine, like I said, is almost like a better version of that bluesy space rock drawn out kind of Pink Floyd get high and vibe out kind mm-hmm. of energy. Starshine's a much better version of that. I think the instrumentality is better. Like I think the whole sound bed's better t- put together. I think the the instruments are more complex in it. I honestly picture it in my head. I don't even picture lyrics. So I couldn't tell you if there are any lyrics. In yeah, that there song. are. Yeah. <laughs> but like in my head, Starshine shines because of the instrumentality yeah. in it. Like that for me would be the one song in the album that straight up, I'd just be like, just give me the instruments. Yeah. I like Starshine. Um, I'm, it's got those like cheesy sci-fi sounds in it and stuff. And I'm kind of a really a big sucker for those. So yeah, yeah, this is one that I definitely would, although I don't have a lot of notes or feel about a lot of the songs in this album, this this was one that gets lumped into the I like it category. Yeah. And yeah, and I think that's that's one thing I kind of like about a lot of these tracks is that they put those little fun sound effects in and they never feel super out of place or like yeah. jarring. But you you always catch them and you're always like, oh, that's fun. But it never feels like it's taking you out of the song. And I think Starshine does it the best with those old little like star sci-fi yeah. <laughs> shitty sci-fi like 80s movie sound effects are yeah. so good slow country i straight up don't have notes for <laughs> like uh, i think it's a decent song uh i just found that constant whooshing gets in the way of the rest of it yeah 100 percent. um like i liked it in the beginning especially because the first like 30 seconds of the track have almost this like by the sea small town like it almost makes you think of the scene from, uh, what is it? Sweeney Todd. If you've ever Not seen yet. it. Oh, I'm afraid I haven't. There's a scene where you see Todd and the owner of the, like the meat pie shop. She's like fantasizing them living this like yep. beach life. That's kind of what I hear in my head whenever slow country's on. Just like this, the whooshing though. That's it. Oh, I can't do it. I really like the intro, but then because it continues on for the full yeah. song, it just, really gets great yeah it just ruins the whole thing um really quick um the ramstein song i was talking about is called tequiero puta and it is it's on the rosen wrote album which is kind of a lesser known album, i'm writing but, uh i would yeah if you like latin stuff and you want to hear like <laughs> it pushed as far as it probably could i know you're not a big metal person but uh it's worth a listen <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I don't like Ramstein, but I have heard enough Ramstein to know their okay. sound. And man, I, I'm excited. I'm going to listen to it right after. I really like Ramstein. I saw them <laughs> live and there are days that I'm sad that I'm not still at their concert. Yeah. So like, I think, I think, um, slow country's got some like fun little beats in it. I think it's a piano throughout the song. You hear it go doot, doot, doot. And it's just cute. But the whooshing is just yeah. over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't get, I don't get it. I don't think it adds anything to the song. I think all it does is detract from the good things of the song. I literally didn't even write notes for it. It was just like, eh. <laughs> like, I still dislike man research more. Just like a weird subjective thing. That song just bugs me when I listen to it. But I don't know if I would ever intentionally listen to Slow Country either. So that's a pretty it's a pretty tight race for last on that <laughs> one. Whereas it, M1A1, I think, is a really good song. I really like it. And 
it's it feels like a weird end to the album to me because I feel like you should ramp down at mm. the end. M1A1 ramps yep. up, especially from Slow Country. But I really like because M1A1's one of the like maybe two rock centric tracks, and M1A1 always strikes me as like a concert song. That makes sense. Like that's the kind of shit you play to get people moving and excited at a concert. Yeah, I like it. It's a I think it's a good rock track. I think it's still got that like the like elements of you know a little bit of electronica, a little bit of blues and folk in there. But I just think it's it's good. Like it's loud, especially compared to Slow Country. That's a bit jarring. Yeah. But I just I think it's a really solid. I think it's a really solid rock track from a band that clearly does not do rock. <laughs> yeah, I found it was like a really interesting build up, but I kind of didn't like where it went. I kind of liked it where it stayed slow, but maybe I need to listen to Blur more. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, kind of like up to that minute mark where it's just that like slow, steady kind of like strumming yeah. build up. Yeah, I was like, where's this going? But yeah, there's like the drums kick in. It's like I understand. Like it's it's fine. It's just for me personally, I I I kind of wanted it to sort of dive more back into like what Starshine was, not like have someone like kick on their distortion pedal and turn it into like yeah. You know, very it's very brit pop it's this it could, this could be a blur song yeah absolutely right that's why i think of it as like a concert yeah. track almost like it's it's the song that you play and even if <clears throat> even if there's a fan out there who brought a friend who has no interest in yeah. being there they're still gonna like at least for that first say minute and a half they're still gonna be totally yeah. feeling it and i do agree i think the way it peaks like that like where it drops in and yeah like that distortion kicks in and the vocals are almost like the track punk level fried that doesn't make sense to me i forgave it in punk because that's what that song's about whereas in this it felt really weird and disjointed but other than that like little section of distorted vocals i really love the build-up and i love the build down and i think it's just overall a pretty solid rock track it just it strikes me as weird as the final track because when that song fades out i want more whereas like if it faded out on starshine i'd be totally good that would be such a yeah neat ending to the album for me exactly it's like oh no i love it i think it's a it's another really strong track on an album that's full of them it just feels like it's in the, the wrong place which is really kind of jarring because I think the rest of the album, even the songs like that aren't great or like don't speak to you, I think are still placed really well energy and flow wise. Yeah. yeah I'll say it's a well-built album. There's, there's points in it where they're being jarring on purpose, which I'm, mm-hmm. which is fine. But yeah, it's uh, I, I can appreciate it in terms of it's a well-packaged product. You know, it doesn't really speak to me on a musical level, but that's just my taste. But I can see where, like, why this album was so successful, and I can see why you enjoy it, and I certainly can find moments in it of my own to enjoy. And yeah, and a big part of that is listening to it as a packaged product. It's good. The the songs make sense, and and where they go makes sense. But yeah, um, I would say M1A1. I don't understand why they ended the album on that song. Like, I guess they wanted a big song, but it seems more like I don't know. It just it's so stylistically different than everything else. It just it doesn't make sense on this record. Yeah, absolutely. Like I like it as a track, right? Where I give them that kind of that leeway where the whole album is about experimenting with yeah. different genres. I think it's fine on the album, but I definitely wouldn't have put it near the end. Like to me it almost should have been I almost want to say around like sound check. Like M1A1 should have led into like double bass yeah. or sound check. And then they could have brought it up and then kind of slowly eased you or out. Or put it on right before punk or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just a yeah. weird stylistic choice. I don't know if that was came down to constraints on time or 
somebody forgot to put the track on and they were like, fuck it, put it at the end. But yeah, just a weird, weird ending to an otherwise very well-built yeah. album. But musically, I still think it's really interesting. I think it's really good. I think it's very... I'm surprised M1A1 honestly isn't one of their singles. Like you said, it could be another Blur song. Like, I'm surprised they didn't drop yeah. that at some point. Kind of keep momentum. M1A1 strikes me as the kind of song that if they dropped it as a single, say six months after yeah. the album had come out, it would have helped re-garner interest in the album, despite not being a very good, like you had said before, not being a very good kind of microcosm of the yeah. album itself. Had people listened to M1A1 and then bought the album, they would have been pretty fucking <laughs> upset about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's stylistically weird. Yeah, it's just good song, but weird. It just sounds out of place on this album, especially at the very end. Like I said, it's, I like it. And like going into the song, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Like I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Let's, let's play some more weird shit. And then there's just nothing. And it just, I'm always like, well, fuck, what the hell do I do now? Like, Well, well, that's, it's kind of a good segue into our new segment of what's the songbird. Cause I think there's a few contenders on this album. Uh, I didn't pick it yet, so you go ahead and pick okay, first. So the songbird is, as we've discussed in previous albums, but if you're if, or previous episodes, but if you're not familiar, the songbird is the song on the album that is stylistically very different, and it thrusts you jarringly out of the flow of an album. And we got the name from the song "Songbird" on Fleetwood Mac's "Rumors" album because it absolutely destroys the flow of the album. So it's not necessarily a bad song; it's just one that just kind of kicks you out of it. And for me, I think the obvious answer is punk, but I'm not going to say it. For me, the <laughs> song is Latin Simone. My song word is Latin Simone yeah, for this album. Okay, so <laughs> I, I got idea at the point. My loads for the songbird was literally all of them? Question <laughs> mark. But I think like as far as jarringly like punting you to the album, like you said, the obvious one is punk. But right, it kind of feels yeah. cheap to pick that. And I personally give them a lot of leeway. It's a stylistic, conceptual choice. I think for me, it's actually probably M1A1. All right. Like, I think I think you get used to the kind of the varied ins and outs of the album. And then the end is just like, for me, M1A1 is just like, what the, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Did I read the album? So the songbird for me on this album is M1A1. Awesome. All right. So we're going to have a new playlist on Spotify. Um, we're just going to have one, though, I think, because there's going to be albums where we agree it's the same song. So I don't think it makes sense to each run our own the way we are for our top two songs from the albums. Yeah, I think it makes more sense to just have a collection of all of the songbirds we've picked. Yeah, because I think, honestly, there's probably going to be some albums, too, where like there we pick two songs are equally songbird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm just I'll just build it. My, I'll just do it myself um, while I'm doing editing and stuff. So don't don't worry about that. It'll probably be called like Life to Labyrinth Songbird or something as a playlist. It'll be um, public. So if you stumble upon our podcast and you want to find out where you can find it, just look up Life to Labyrinth. You'll probably start. You'll see our playlists. I've done it myself. They show up. So perfect. All right. So final thoughts. Um, Yeah, I didn't really connect with it. I liked some of it. And I wish that most of the songs didn't have uh, the vocals on it. Do you have any yeah, fair enough? I, I know you've kind of wrapped it up for the most part, but do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, I'm going to try not to gush too much. But <laughs> so this, like I kind of said in the beginning, album, this was the first album I ever bought. 
And a lot of obviously why I love it sits in that kind of golden nostalgia from when I remember it. But I still think to this day, this song, like this album, sorry, is a strong, creative, artistic project. And I think it delivers in extremely unexpected, very unique ways that I think, honestly, if you're going to listen, give it a shot on headphones because you'll catch so much more. I'll agree with that. All the little, like, you know, like 8-bit sounds or like the little, like, little twiddlies here and there and stuff. It shows up a lot better on headphones than, uh, like, I just had like a speaker behind me. Like a, and a nice one we have at work. It's like, you know, one of those Bose things. And I have it right mm-hmm. behind me while I'm listening at work and sounds great. But even then, when I pop the headphones in, completely different listening experience. So yeah, listen on headphones, give it a shot. This is like, oh, it's near and dear to my heart and it always will be. Um, but yeah, make sure to let us know how you feel about it. What did you think when you listened to this? Give us a little spin on what it's like listening to it potentially for the first time in 2020. And if it's legal where you are, listen to it high. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because that's what I'm going to be doing right after this episode. And after, well, actually, I might listen to this Ramstein song. Right Ramstein, yeah, I mean, the... <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe do that first. Don't go there after you listen. It's going to be a... Have an existential crisis. Yeah, a bit of a moment, I think, if you end your evening on <laughs> Ramstein's Latin song. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, I cut you off there. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, thanks for you know stopping in, listening to us, talk about mostly bullshit, but also some really cool music. Yeah, definitely. And next week, um, we are switching back to one of my picks. Um, not an album I've listened to in a very long time, but keeping with the theme, the very first album I ever bought for myself was Ace of Bases, The Sign. It will be hands down our stylistic <laughs> departure. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Oh, it's gonna be one album in its totality probably since you know 94 95 i bought <laughs> I, the first album i ever got was ace of bass is the sign the second album i ever owned was help by the beatles and i don't think i ever played ace of bass again so <laughs> amazing i am going to be going back a very very long time i'm going back uh 26 years in my life to listen to this album for the full like in totality this will for sure be the first time I've ever listened to this album. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 1994, I was 10 and uh, Steven was probably not born. Ah, uh, close. I was one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh man. I, I'm so excited. This is so wild to me. <laughs> when we first discussed doing our first albums, never in my wildest dreams had I assumed Ace of Base was going to be your first. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Very random. The sign was giant. We'll talk about it next week though. You know, I don't want to. I don't want these episodes to get too long because I know that uh, you know people have other things to do, and if we're sitting around the two-hour mark, it's probably longer than most podcasts. So, thanks very much for listening, and we will catch you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth.